Hello and welcome to the Powerhouse Performance Club podcast with me, Liam Louth. So today we've got episode 8 and today's podcast is basically a, a breakdown of our basic nutrition seminar. So firstly I'd like to say no one at Powerhouse is trained to do meal plans, we're not nutritionists or anything like that. But what we are is often a few chapters ahead of our client base. So we're going to pass on a few guidelines, a few tips and tricks things we've picked up along the way but what we want to get off our chest is it's not specific advice if you have underlying health issues intolerances concerns or anything like that specialist populations don't take this advice go and see doctors go and see nutritions go and see dietitians this advice will be mostly aimed at weight loss clients or fat loss clients i like to refer to them as because Weight loss doesn't define you. Your weight doesn't define you. But there's nothing wrong with losing fat and improving your health markers. So it's a bit of a mindset switch and not focusing too much on the scales. So the reason why we're doing this is we did do a live kind of workshop in the rugby club. And a lot of people turned up and enjoyed it. But a lot of people couldn't make it. So we thought we'd just talk through the slides. We have sent the slides to all our gym members but the slides without the context of someone explaining them isn't that brilliant. So I'm going to try and put a bit of kind of uh, context into the bullet points, if you like. So let me just fire through the disclaimer. So the good news then, like my presentation says in front of me, is that most people don't need meal plans, nutritionists or specialist advice. So if you're one of the 5 to 10% of people who do, that's cool. Go and see someone who's qualified. But for general day-to-day health and general fat loss and stuff like that, we've got more than enough experience to help you out. All you need to do then is create your own guidelines that align with your goals, which we'll touch on next. Then you want to aim to build habits, behaviours and routines that are relevant to your goals. Weight loss, maintenance, muscle building, you know, general health, that kind of stuff. So for most people who come to Powerhouse then, in general... I'm generalising a little bit, it's fat loss. Now, a few care about mobility and fitness and stuff like that, but quite often, and strength, quite often it is, is weight loss or fat loss. So if we're chasing weight loss, fat loss, toning up or getting lean, we need to restrict our calories coming in, or we need to increase our output, so we exercise or train or we walk or whatever it is. Now, ideally, I would say you're best off doing both and creating this perfect storm, where you've got your daily steps, you've got your structured training, and you're also dieting. What that does, it allows you to not be an absolute robot with really perfectly strict dieting, which often isn't sustainable. You don't have to become a gym freak who trains seven days a week and possibly overtrains, and you don't have to walk 20,000 steps a day. What you do is have to make some good decisions, more good decisions than bad decisions or poor decisions, You've got to keep active and you've got to follow, ideally, some form of structured training. I mean, you can get there with random exercise, but it's a different subject for another day. But with random training, you get random results. So try and keep it structured. And I'll just fire through the slides. So energy balance then, 101. So if you're in a calorie surplus, which like me, and I'm sure you, you lot have done it at some point, you're going to gain fat. So the scales have crept up and we never notice it on day one. It's not after one bad meal, it's not after one bad week, it's often months, years, or a long, long time, and something snaps and we want to lose weight. 
So what we need to do then is we need to bring ourselves into a calorie deficit. Now, just like the weight didn't come, come on overnight, it's not going to come off overnight. So it's no good being in a calorie deficit Monday and Tuesday or a couple of good weeks out of a month. We need to do it consistently. So for me, a good rule of thumb is 80%. I think most people, regardless of your lifestyle and your job and your living conditions or whatever it is, most people can nail 80% of the decisions. A lot of people, I find, drift too close to 100 and burn out or they can't stick to it. Or they're not completely committed and they're, too, they're more like 50-60%. So don't really see many results because there's no real consistency. Or they get results, but it just takes forever. It takes like two years to lose a stone or something because they're just yo-yo diet. Right then, so if we're thinking about weight loss or fat loss... We want to retain muscle and lose fat. That's why I like to say fat loss and not weight loss. So initially a client probably doesn't care or a gym member doesn't care. But eventually they always, they're always grateful that they retain muscle. Because muscle isn't masculine for the women, listen. Muscle doesn't make you manly or anything like that. Muscle is good. You know, we want it for longevity. We want it for strength. We want it for aesthetics. There's a lot of reasons why we want it. If we ignore the weights and we keep the protein low... We often lose weight, but not as much fat as we want because the body's going to downregulate. The body's going to lose a lot of muscle, which is expensive to keep if it's not being used regular. So if you don't lift weights, your protein's low, the crash diet you're on is often going to result in a lot of muscle loss and some minimal fat loss. So the scales come down, but often you don't become any more confident. You're not much more happy with your shape. You notice that you've still got that ring around the middle. It's because you haven't prioritised weight training and you haven't ate enough protein and you haven't stayed patient or potentially your deficit has been too big. So with these deficits then, we don't want a a ridiculously large deficit. The bigger the deficit, the more muscle you're going to lose. It can often impact your motivation. It can often impact your kind of desire to stick to it and longevity and sustainability of that diet. So the deficit, it can be 100 or 150 calories because you won't see the progress. And at some point you will doubt it. So to me, it would need to be around 300 or 500 calories. And you could drift above that or below that as long as you understand and manage your expectations that it's going to take longer or it's going to be horrible in terms of requiring lots of willpower and determination. And then we've got maintenance. So not enough people talk about maintenance to me. So maintenance is seen as a period of time where you've lost loads of weight and you don't lose any more. So you stick on maintenance and it's seen as this kind of period where you don't want to gain muscle, you don't want to lose any more weight. And it's almost a point where you've stalled. And I don't agree with that. So a lot of people, I think, would be better suited on a calorie maintenance. So let's just say I need 2,500 calories per day. If I just hover at that 2,500 calories, I won't gain a, a, a noticeable amount of weight, but I won't lose a noticeable amount of weight. But the thing is, I could drastically improve my body shape and my confidence and my strength and my fitness in that period but the scales wouldn't change so this is one of the reasons why we're not keen at powerhouse and focusing too much on the scales so if you're following a structured workout or training program sorry like our gym members do and you're progressively overloading the muscle group and the movement patterns your body will respond and if your nutritional quality of your diet's pretty high and it's consistent you will notice your figure changing. So you'll notice your waist gets smaller. Maybe your biceps look better or your glutes look better or whatever muscle groups that you're training. Yet your weight doesn't change because muscle is denser than fat. With maintenance, 
progress will happen slow because you you haven't got that calorie deficit to no, to see noticeable fat loss changes week on week on week. And you haven't got the surplus to build loads of muscle overnight, which can't really be done anyway, but it's not really optimal to build loads of muscle on a maintenance. But you can still see changes. And those changes come without ramming food down your grid or they come without starving yourself. You also often find you perform better because you, you have more energy. So someone's in quite a big calorie deficit, they often run out of energy towards the end of a session. The potential might burn out if they're doing endurance events and stuff like that. So we perform better when we're in maintenance or a surplus. So this podcast is running through slides, but ultimately what I described on the day was was how to go and work out your calories and stuff like that. So you need to decide whether your goals are a calorie deficit, a period of maintenance, or a calorie surplus. And there's plenty of calculators on there. Some of the calculators off the top of my head, good ones, are bodybuilding.com. And if you put in... TDEE calculator. So that will give you your total daily energy requirements based on your activity levels, your age, height and weight and stuff like that. That's really good if you're very active because if you use the other version, which I sometimes do use for office workers and stuff, the other version is your BMR, so your basal metabolic rate calculator. And if you type that in on Google, it'll come up. You put your age, height, weight in and your BMR then is how many calories you need to exist in bed all day. Literally. So if you sat in bed all day, strange situation, but it's it's seeming quite normal now with everything in the news. But if you did that without gaining weight and without losing weight, that is the, the basal amount of calories you need. So that's really good if you're an office worker and it gives you a rough guideline. Now, if you're a postman or you come to loads of boot camps or sessions, that figure is going to be crazy low. And if you diet on that figure, you, your body will fight back in terms of cravings, mood swings, Poor recovery, poor performance, things like that. So it's important you go too low. Now, the thing with the TDE calculator is you often end up eating back a lot of the calories. So if you if you think you're active, but really you're kind of lightly active, it might give you a few more calories. So what I'm trying to stress is, in a very long way, those two formulas are not perfect. So don't, don't panic and think too much about it. Don't question it. Just get a number, whether it's 1,800 or 3,000, depending on your build and your size and your goal. But stick with it and look how, how you respond. So take progress pictures, check your weight, think about your recovery, think about how full you feel and stuff like that. Are you really relying on willpower or are you hungry all the time? And then if, it, if you're struggling with cravings, you've probably gone too low. You know, if you can't, if you can't get the food down yet or you're not actually gaining weight, you've obviously gone too high. So... Take control of it. Don't rely on coaches or people on the internet to kind of support you and check on you. Like track variables, have something quantifiable like your waist measurements or an old pair of jeans that fit you. Take progress pictures front, side and back and respond to the changes you see in your body or that you feel. And if you're not seeing weight loss changes, there's something going wrong with your calorie equation. So you're not counting or you're not tracking or you're not eyeballing your food correctly. So quickly while I'm on that situation, you don't have to count calories to progress, but it just massively helps. The main reason that it helps is basically it creates an awareness of what you're eating because the average person doesn't have an awareness. Once you've built that awareness, you might not be the kind of person who likes calorie counting. So then you can just eat on, on eyeballs. So you can just kind of visualize your food. You can kind of roughly gauge it. And it does take some practice, but it can be done. Other people, that's too much freedom and the struggle and it's not accurate enough especially if we're quite petite and female maybe, even though I'm petite, but the, the amount of calories 
is massively like your margin for error suffers when you're small. So if you are trying to cuff it as a as a five foot female, it's a bit harder than it is for like someone like Daz who's a bit taller and bigger. So they can get away with a bit more. Uh, right, next slide then. So the next one I've got up then is basically it's a symbol of all the diets. So it's like Atkins, clean eating, intermittent fasting, keto, flexible dieting, paleo, all these common diets, weight watchers. The mechanism that makes all those diets work is a calorie deficit. So all the advice I'm about to give you doesn't really matter as much as a calorie deficit does for fat loss. So you can sneak a Mars Ben every day. We don't recommend it, but you can still lose weight. On the other side of things, you could have a Caesar salad for tea on an evening meal when you eat out and you could think you're being really good, but that Caesar salad could take you into a calorie surplus. If you do that every day, you will gain weight. No matter how healthy the calories are, whether it's an avocado or it's a superfood salad, whatever it is, if you're on a calorie surplus, you're going to gain some weight. So key point, calorie deficit for fat loss. Next thing I want to talk about is body composition. So the picture I've got up shows a female, 62K, and then a female, again, at 62K, but looking more athletic, uh, more visible muscle, and visibly less fat. So going back to what I've said a few times now, you, the scales don't define you. So if you focus on muscle retention or muscle building and fat loss, you can prove your physique without the scales changing. So if you are tracking progress, please, please do not rely solely on the scales because it will mess with your head. So it's about reframing weight loss as fat loss. So the scales recruit tool opt for, opt for picks and measurements. The BMI, I believe, was abandoned or is about to be abandoned by the NHS because it's quite, quite, sorry, it's quite a crude formula. So it punishes anyone who's quite small, anyone who's athletic, who's got a bit of muscle. It doesn't seem to like it because the formula is too crude. Body composition then, if you haven't picked it up already, it refers to your ratios of fat to muscle. So when we think about leaning up or toning up or shredding or losing fat, whatever it is, basically we're trying to improve our body composition. Our ratios of fat to muscle. So it's a presence of muscle and an absence or reduction of fat. So a visible reduction of fat. That's what being lean is. And then as I've just said, lean toned or muscular physiques may weigh more as muscle is more dense than fat. So the picture I've got up shows 62k lean strong and 62k not quite so lean and strong but the exact same weight so weight loss then is easy is my next bullet point and then sorry but it is weight loss is really really easy drink less water wear loads of hoodies to the gym go to a sauna eat smaller meals and you will weigh less but that's weight so your weight is like your bone mass it's whatever's in your stomach digestion it's your water it's your clothing in some cases. Whereas body fat requires a lot more patience. So body fat isn't impacted by the sauna, your sweatsuit, dehydration, salt. Fat loss is impacted by a consistent calorie deficit. So next thing then, why is protein important? So you've probably heard us all talk about protein and we're quite big fans of a high protein diet. You can lose a lot of weight without eating a high protein diet but I'll give you a few reasons why we think it helps. So protein contains four calories per gram. So that means it's efficient to eat protein as part of a weight loss diet because that, that chicken breast or those eggs or the tofu, whatever it is, 
usually contains less calories than someone eating a meal consisting of bread, rice and potatoes or like especially when smothered in fats and stuff like that. Protein then is an essential macronutrient. So proteins perceived in the eyes of the general public as something for bodybuilders, something that's almost masculine unless you're really into the gym and it doesn't make you bulk up overnight if you're wondering about that. It has a high thermic effect. So basically when we're eating this protein and we're digesting it, digest, digesting it, sorry, it's responsible for 20 to 35% of the calories just to digest it compared to other foods like carbs and fats, which is 5 to 15%. So you're eating the protein or the chicken breast, it's got less calories per gram compared to fats. And by digesting it, your body's burning calories. Protein also is a big regulator of appetite and cravings, and it's highly satiating. So when you do eat two chicken breasts or two pieces of fish, often that will fill you up, versus four slices of toast or a massive portion of potatoes or rice, often doesn't. So it's responsible for growth, repair, and essential day-to-day -day functions. So it's not a choice, really. You've got to get it in. You know, the NHS has a guideline. It's often lower than ours. And while that's in my mind, I'll talk about that. So the NHS want you to exist and be healthy. Often when people come to powerhouse, they want to retain muscle, they want to build muscle, they want to be strong, feel strong, they want to lose fat. They want to reduce the cravings and appetite. So we often recommend a higher protein intake than the NHS. And one of the questions we often get is, why is it so high? And that's why. So a good rule of thumb is 1.5 to 2 times your body weight in kilograms. So if you're 100 kilograms, that's 150 to 200 kilograms of protein, of grams, sorry, per day. If you're 50 kilograms, then we're aiming for 75 to 100 grams of protein per day. And then obviously, I'll leave it to you to work out what's in the middle. Because maths is crap. Uh, I've got, just got a few points up on my slide as well then. So protein intake then is especially important for women who are at a higher risk of osteoporosis after the menopause. Eating plenty of protein and staying active is a good way to help prevent that from happening. So really key points. Another one then. So people who eat protein tend to maintain bone mass better as they age and have a lower risk again of osteoporosis and fractures. So we do find a powerhouse. You know, we do have kind of, you know, people who 30, 40, 50. Our average age is a lot higher than commercial gyms. So those two points like are pretty key. Key reasons to eat protein. Next one then, fats. So the first statement of this presentation is fat doesn't make you fat. So fat is not the enemy. A calorie surplus is the enemy if we're trying to lose weight. So fat then is an essential part of a healthy, balanced diet. So you've got to get your fat in, whether it's from avocados, nuts, fish, whatever it is, oils, things like that. You've got to get them in. Fat is a source of essential fatty acids, which the body cannot make itself, hence why you need them. But here's the thing why fat makes you fat. Nine calories per gram. So people think fat makes you fat because it does contain more calories. So if you're eating burgers and bacon and cheese, doesn't mean those foods should be demonised, but it means if you're having them on the regular, you're more likely to be in a calorie surplus, so you're more likely to gain weight. So therefore, those food groups are demonised. But we don't believe in demonising foods at Powerhouse. So if you want your bacon sani on a Saturday, it's cool. As long as you accept that you might not be in a deficit or you accept that it's a one-off. Uh, so what you've also got to be aware of with fats is 
like small margins. So if it's got nine calories per gram, like if I had a hundred people and they all had a teaspoon of peanut butter, there would be a huge variance of the size on the, on that spoon. So what you've got to be careful of is yes, fats are good. Yes, you can eat fats and they're healthy. You've got to be careful about how much you have. Fats help the body absorb vitamin A, D and E. And these vitamins are fat soluble. Any fat not used by your body's cells or used to create energy is converted into body fat. So it's a, it's a survival mechanism. We eat foods. If we don't need to use the energy, we store it as fat for, for future kind of periods of exercise and movement. Likewise, then, unused carbs and protein are also converted into body fat. Most people in the UK eat too much saturated fats. Men and women should not have more than 30 grams of saturated fat and 20 grams of unsaturated fat per day. That's an NHS guideline. Some types of omega-3 and omega-6 fats cannot be made by the body and therefore are essential in small amounts in the diet. So if you can't create them, you've got to get them in, whether it's your fish oils or getting your salmon or other supplements. Monounsaturated fats help protect our hearts by maintaining levels of good HDL cholesterol while reducing levels of bad cholesterol. So what's important with your fat sources is, is to mix them up. Don't rely solely on, on coconut butter or, or meat. Try and mix them up. I mean, again, you might have your own dietary requirements for religious reasons or maybe vegan or whatever it is. But mix up your sources just like you would mix up your protein sources and your vegetable sources. Don't become reliant on one. Uh, so a good example is olive oils, avocados, nuts, almonds, peanuts, things like that. Polyunsaturated fats then can help lower cholesterol. And there are two main types of polyunsaturated fats, which are omega-3s and omega-6s. And for some reason, my slides were in a slightly wrong order there. Next one then, carbs. So carbs are heavily demonised, a bit like fat. And they shouldn't be. They're not the enemy. But of all the macronutrients, carbs are the one you should consider lowering first. So carbs then consist of sugar, starch and fibre. And they're, key, they're a key player in digestion. So simple carbs then, think of that as sugar and fruit versus complex carbs, which is your rice, your pasta, your bread and stuff like that. So carbs are very easy to overconsume and they're hyper palatable when combined with fats. So what I always say is when you've got a, a loaf of bread out and it's pre-sliced and you've got the jam out or the peanut butter out or even marmite, if you're that way inclined, and your knife's in it, when you have that one slice, it's often very rewarding to the pathways of the brain. So it tastes nice is what I'm trying to say. So carbs and fats, we're programmed, if you like, or we evolved to find that appealing. So we often want to go back for more. And even if we know it's not good for us or we're trying to diet, we know it's pre-sliced. We know the jam's out and the knife's in it. So there's very little effort barriers to that food. So often it's very easy to have two slices of toast, three slices of toast. And it's not the end of the world if you do. But when you add the, the fats onto it, like the butter and stuff, the calorie count flies up. And that little extra slice that you have each day could be the one thing that stops you losing fat because it could put you into a surplus. Right then, so carbohydrates are your body's preferred energy source. But they're not technically essential because the body can synthesize and create energy without carbs. So I just want to clarify that. So they're the preferred. So if you keep topping yourself up with carbs, your body's going to be very efficient at using carbs as a fuel source. 
and your metabolic flexibility might not be that good. So your metabolic flexibility is your body's ability to use fat as a fuel source. So this is why cutting carbs out can help. Not completely, not crazy low, but you might skip them for breakfast or you might skip them for lunch or you might have smaller portions and it can just help a little bit. Uh, right, so it shouldn't be, carbs shouldn't be demonised, but they can be reduced significantly. But as I've just said, avoid the extremes. So avoid going lower than 100 grams per day. Because this often leads to mood swings, poor performance, poor recovery, cravings, things like that. So it's well known for those people who know bodybuilders, they get very cranky, very moody when they cut the carbs before a show. But it really helps them lose weight. So glucose then is converted and stored from carbs and it's used by your body for energy. So this is what we mean by your body's preferred energy. So if you're having carbs with every meal, your body's going to be quite efficient at using carbs for fuel. Whether you're going for a, a run or you're just breathing and existing, your body's going to tap into those carbs. Now, if you consume more carbs than you need, it's converted to fat. So that's quite simple. You're in a surplus, you gain weight. Uh, if you do endurance races, events or obstacle courses, make sure you fuel your performance. So you might get away with a 45 minute class or an hour class or a long walk, but you shouldn't be doing a, a long endurance event with no carbs because you're probably going to really, really struggle because you haven't got your body's preferred energy source. So your body's got to break down fat and use it and it's time consuming and it's not very efficient when you're performing at a high level for long periods of time. So if you do do anything that's quite intense, you want to be refueling and pre-fueling with carbs. So fruits and vegetables then. So fruits and vegetables contain calories too. So often when people don't want to count calories, they just think, oh, I'll focus on eating healthy. So I'll have a full tin of sweet corn. I'll have like six parsnips because it's a vegetable. You know, I'll have, loads of, I'll have loads of tomatoes, beetroot, stuff like that. There's nothing wrong with any fruit or vegetable I've just named, but they do contain calories. So if you look at the back of the calories and tin sweet corn, it might surprise you. Again, these little things could take us over that that maintenance into that calorie surplus. So I'm not saying don't eat sweet corn or carrots or anything, but just understand they do contain calories. So again, if you're a five foot female, you, you might have to pay a lot of attention to that. Maybe if you're a six foot rugby player, you maybe don't have to. So fruit contains fructose, which is like a simple carb. So it's good for energy and stuff like that. The next tip then is, is pack your plate with greens, ideally leafy. So my last point was saying fruit and vegetable contains calories. But things like kale, spinach, broccoli, cucumber, all the unsexy vegetables basically contain less calories. So it's good to pack up your plate because plate volume plays a massive part in dieting. If your plate contains hardly nothing, psychologically that diet is hard to stick to in the long term. Your, your stomach volume is like, has a lot of space basically. So the signal to your brain to stop eating and calm down and, and let's call it a day doesn't really happen because you've got such a small volume of food in your stomach. So packing your plate with spinach, broccoli, cucumber or carrot sticks, whatever it is, things like that, can help increase your plate volume without increasing the calories too much. Vitamins and supplements then, again, I'm not a dietitian, I'm not a nutritionist, but in our opinion, they can help fill some of the gaps in your diet, but you should always aim for real food personally. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure how good the source is, but I once heard when you take the vitamins and supplements, just because it says it contains 200% or 100% of 
vitamin X or whatever it is, doesn't mean it's all absorbed in pill form. So I'm always aiming for a wide variety of fruit and veg, and I take a multivitamin and a few other vitamins on top to fill in any potential gaps, but I'm not reliant on the pills. Fruit isn't bad then. It's, it can be sometimes demonised, but avoid 12 fruit smoothies. So I've had a few clients. Fruit is marketed as healthy, so they go, right, I'll put some blueberries in, some strawberries, a banana, some milk, some protein. And I was like, how many calories are in that shake? So yes, it's all healthy, nutritious foods, but the calorie count is crazy high. So there's nothing wrong with smoothies, nothing wrong with fruit, but calories still count. Fruit is a handy snack between meals. It's good for sugar cravings and it contains fibre. Big tip with fruit and vegetables, avoid coating them in fats, sauces, like butter and stuff like that. Just like I said with carbs, basically, because you combine in different fruit sources, it's hyper-palatable and makes them very easy to overconsume. Right, just going back a little bit. This might be a long podcast, by the way. What are you doing? Uh, how fat leaves the body? Yes, you can. So how fat leaves the body then? So again, just diverting from the, the diet a little bit, just to talk about fat loss. So most fat loss occurs as CO2, or carbon dioxide, leaving the body through exhalation. 84% of the fat leaves that way. So this is why lower intensity activities or cardio can be really great for burning fat. Because when you're sprinting flat out, you aren't necessarily tapping into fat stores as much as you think but you are making yourself tired and it does come an extra injury risk. So no one exercise is amazing, but often the lower intensity stuff can be great. So weight training, walking, light cycling, light jogging, things like that. Small amounts of fat leave through when you go to the toilet, basically, for 16%. Fat doesn't turn into muscle. That is a myth. I wish it did. Fat oxidisation doesn't necessarily mean you're mobilising fat cells. So, in fact, I got that wrong. So, fat mobilisation doesn't necessarily mean you're burning fat. So, burning fat, then, is oxidisation. When you're doing sprints on a treadmill or, you know, like, hit on a, on a row machine, you're mobilising fat cells, so your body's kind of getting them ready for prolonged activity. But the trouble is, you often do that, then stop. It's not a bad thing. But what you've done is you've mobilised the fat cells, you've got them ready... You've potentially burned some off, but you haven't burned them all off. So I don't want to get too sciencey, but a little good a good point is after after you finish here or the end of a workout cardio, you could go for a light walk, a light cycle, you know, a light jog, cross trainer, stairmaster, depending on where you work out. And what you can do is you can elongate the fat burning process. You can ramp things up. By default, you can push your eating windows back, and your body will be more likely to tap into fat stores. So it's a real good tip if you want to get a bit more out of your sessions is to put a little bit of time for a walk afterwards in. Uh, if you don't do that, uh, sometimes I question whether I put this tip in because if I do, sometimes people think, oh my God, all the fat cells come back unless you walk. But there's something, if I can pronounce it, re-eristification. So basically, if the fat cells that are mobilised, the satellite and ready to be used as energy. If you just stop dead and go home and chill out and sit on the settee, some of those fat cells like settle elsewhere rather than being oxidised because your heart rate's lowered and you stop working out. So those fat cells that were previously ready to deploy have just kind of sat still. So don't think like it's a big clump of fat just stops and sticks where it's satellited. Think of these as tiny, minuscule cells. 
so next thing I want to talk about, which is really, really important, it comes up a lot of boot camp, is fat loss theory uh, of the whoosh effect. So the whoosh effect is a theory, but it's, it's widely recognised and accepted. So basically, if you think of a fat cell, I normally have a prop when I do this, as a kind of a, a bottle that's, that's full. So I have a full bottle of Evian water, let's just say, and the water within that is the fat. So if I'm at a session and I'm in a calorie deficit and I'm working hard, I'm burning off the fat. So I drink half that Evian water, so the bottle's half full, but I still have an Evian water bottle, which is representing the fat cell. So I still have a fat cell. If I drink the rest of that water or burn off the fat, I still have a fat cell. I still hold a water bottle in my hand. So what I'm trying to say is that the theory is the body stores water within empty fat cells to protect the structural integrity. So basically, if I squeeze my empty water bottle, I can crush it. So it's not, it's not got good integrity structurally. So if I stored water back in it, it would be strong. So the theory is when you're on a calorie deficit and you know you're doing well and you turn up to your sessions and your day-to-day steps are up and you're doing all the right things and you're sleeping right and you're wondering, Liam, why can't I lose weight? Or you're telling Daz that the scales haven't changed or you're moaning to Josh that it's just not happening or it's your genetics or whatever it is. If you stick with it and you're definitely in a deficit, what will eventually happen is when there's no more fat deposited and you've stuck to your deficit, the water leaves the cell entirely and fat loss occurs. This is often why people who lose weight overnight on shake diets and crash diets and crazy intense workouts, they'll lose fat quite quick, but they often gain them back. Because even though they've lost the fat, they have the, the storage capacity ready. So the second they, they go back to the normal diet, the body rams all the fat into those fat cells if they're in a surplus. So it's important we take a long-term sustainable approach to fat loss. And it's important we track things other than the scales. Because if you hold water within your empty fat cells or partially empty fat cells, the scales don't change, but you have lost fat. So we might give you a compliment other members might compliment you and you start thinking that we're just being nice when reality is your waist shrinking. So that's the whoosh effect. The whoosh effect then is I'm not losing weight, I'm not losing weight and then the swoosh drops off a cliff and you're like, Jesus, I've lost a stone. Well, not a stone, sorry. You've lost a K or half a K. Now, you didn't lose that in a night or a week. What you did do was lose some of the water that's held in the fat cells. So it's water retention. All right, so the key point then, if that didn't bore you, is don't get frustrated when the scales don't change. If you know you're doing everything right, stay patient. Use other methods to track progress, like an old pair of jeans, measurements, pictures, or sets and reps. If you're getting stronger every week and you turn up with three sessions a week, plus some boot camps, and you weren't doing that last month, you're almost definitely losing weight because you're doing something you weren't doing last month. You're doing it very consistently and you're getting stronger. So your physique will be changing. Next one then, food is fuel. So I want to talk about pre-training. So a rough guideline. Aim to eat 90 to 120 minutes before the session to minimise blood shunting to the digestive system. So when we eat something, especially like big carby meals or your, your spaghettis and your roast and stuff like that, the body has to digest it and do something with it. So all the attention and blood rushes to your digestive system. So if you turn up to boot camp and you've just eaten, you're basically asking your body to digest food and perform. And it's quite tricky because it's stuck in the rest and digest phase 
and it's stuck in the fight or flight stage, which is exercise. So you're never really great at both. So you're essentially asking your body to multitask. So the need for post-workout protein can be negated by having protein beforehand. So a lot of you just train at night and you say, Liam, I train at 8.30pm or I do boot camp at 7 to 8 and I don't feel like eating. So if you have a protein shake or a, a protein-based meal beforehand, that can negate some of the, the need to eat protein afterwards. Now, if you don't do the protein before or after, you'll be breaking down quite a lot of muscle tissue and you won't be able to repair it because you won't have the amino acids. So protein contains amino acids, whether it's eggs, tofu, soy, protein shakes, yogurt, they contain amino acids. These amino acids are referred to as the building blocks of life. So you, they're kind of important. If you're doing long bouts of cardio on a low protein diet, you will lose lots of muscle mass and you may struggle to recover. You may develop imbalances and issues and injuries because of that low protein diet. So it's not just for bodybuilders. Last night's stored carbs then will more than likely be enough if you can't stomach food in the morning. So if you're doing our 6am uh, gym members classes, then we're often like, oh, what do I eat, Liam? What, do, what shall I have? And normally I say have a banana or have a shake, something you can digest easily without the body requiring a lot of energy to digest it, like the first point. But you've probably got enough energy in the carbohydrates that you stored from last night. So the rice that you had from 8pm last night will be stored and readily available to use the next day, unless you're in a really big deficit and you wake up hungry, which in that case, I would recommend eating a banana or a shake. Uh, weight loss then. So if, if you're in too much of a big energy deficit, it can result in poor performance. So basically, as I said, try and eat. Post-training then, refuel is really important. So when you leave the gym, you might have a pump on, you might feel good, you might have pushed yourself. But in terms of your physique and improving it, you haven't actually achieved that much. What you've done is create a stimulus. So we need to refuel, rest and hydrate to get the best out of that stimulus to see changes in our physique, our performance and stuff like that. So you want to refuel using protein and complex carbohydrates. So remember, complex carbohydrates are pastas, bread, rice, noodles, that kind of stuff, potatoes. So we refuel from the session and we get the protein in to preserve tissue and, and recover. Allow yourself chance to cool down first to avoid gut or digestion issues. So I was massively guilty of this. I live three minutes from the gym I'm working in Aylesbury and often I would finish my workout and I would be eating within five minutes. But if you like, my digestive system hadn't caught up and it was still in that kind of fight or flight stage. When you put food in your stomach, digestive enzymes are released and hormones and stuff like that. So if, if my heart rate's really elevated and I'm still sweating, I haven't cooled down adequately, then my body's kind of in that kind of, it's multitasking. So I might get gut issues, digestion issues, absorption issues, because I didn't allow myself to cool down. So try and bring your heart rate down, try and relax, get a shower, walk, prepare a meal, rather than just wolfing down food. Really good tip, that. Carb storage then is ramped up for an exercise. So when you have done a particularly hard session, your body will store the carbs and utilize the carbs better after a workout. So if it's your rest day, you're not that efficient at storing the carbs for energy or replacing your storage capacity compared to after exercise when it's ramped up. So take advantage of that window and almost save your carbohydrates for afterwards. So if you're training in the evenings, it's a really good time to have a nice big portion of pasta or rice or whatever it is you like to eat. 
If you train late at night then, and you can't stomach food, which is quite common, up for a shake. I think I've kind of said that, but the points come up on the screen. So apologies. Uh, Intra-training then. So if you're doing endurance events, you might want to start taking gels, bananas, you know, sugary sweets and gummies and things like that. To be honest, most people don't need to think about that unless you do endurance events or obstacle course race events like Spartan Race, which some people do, I know, from Powerhouse. So anything above 60 minutes generally or crazy intense, you're going to need some some fluids. So your Lucasade Sports, things like that, uh, gummy bears, shakes, stuff like that. Isotonic drills, powders. Right, so if I haven't bored you to death and you're still listening... I haven't actually given that much specific advice because we want you to make your own choices within your own rules and guidelines based on your own preferences. So what is the point in me telling you exactly what vegetables eat, exactly what meals eat and what time I eat them? It has to come from you, otherwise you won't stick to it. So here's a few basic guidelines that we think most people should stick to without any issues, whether you're 60, 16 or a vegan or you only eat meat, whatever it is. So, multiple meals per day rather than one or two huge feeds. So, don't skip breakfast and, and have lunch on the fly and have this massive tea. You're probably going to do better in terms of dieting if excuse me, if you have multiple meals per day because that will regulate your appetite and some of your hormones that can impact eating. So, the longer you, the longer you go without eating, the more your hormones kind of subconsciously make you want to eat more. So, when you're presented with a food choice at night... You often want second portions and desserts because you starve yourself all day because you couldn't be bothered to make breakfast or you didn't have time to grab lunch. Protein with every meal in capital letters. So a lot of people think I'll have cereal for breakfast, you know, I'll have a, a salad for lunch and there's, there's no real kind of protein source. So even if you have a big whole chicken for even a meal, you're still not, you're still not done brilliant. So protein is best split up into regular feedings because it improves your, your muscle protein synthesis, effectively just how your body utilises protein for repair and growth of new tissue. So you want to you space it out so there's regular feedings rather than starve yourself of protein and have it for tea. So we've got to have eggs in the morning or a shake in the morning or you know, macro, whatever it is. You've got to get some in. Aim for a wide variety of protein, fruit and vegetable sources. So as I said earlier, don't just eat cabbage, don't just eat carrots or apples. Mix up your sources. So different proteins or different protein sources, sorry, contain different amino acids. Different vegetables and different fruits contain different nutrients and minerals. A good clue is the colour. So the things that are in green leafy, uh, green leafy vegetables like kale and spinach are often completely different to things like carrots and potatoes and onions. So the colours are kind of a rough gauge of what's in them. So what I'm trying to say is mix up your colours. Uh, the next guideline then is to aim for minimally processed single ingredient foods as much as possible. So have rice, have a banana rather than buying like pastries and pies and, and ready meals and stuff like that. So single ingredient foods. Have water with every single meal. This is such a basic concept and most people miss it. So they wake up, they have a coffee, they rush to work, you know, they have a few sips of water, they forget to bring the water bottle to, to the gym and they're severely dehydrated and it affects moods and, and all sorts and cravings and stuff like that. So start the day over glass, finish the day over glass before bed and have water with every single meal. If we're trying to get stronger or fitter or lose weight, like you've got to get that most basic thing right first. 
Next one then, avoid going too low on carbs or fats. So rough guidelines, don't go less than 100 grams of carbs because your body will fight back, your brain will fight back in terms of mood and all sorts of things. With your fats, avoid going less than 50. These are not set guidelines, as I've said. We're not nutritionists. We're not dietitians. It's just things that have worked for us in the past and they've worked for clients of ours and members. So carbs are not the enemy, fats are not the enemy. Ideally, you're probably going to pick a little bit of both and reduce both. But don't just think fats are evil or carbs are evil. Although you are going to have your preference. So most people prefer fats or they prefer carbs. So if you do prefer carbs, cut your fats down a bit. If you prefer fats, cut your carbs down a bit. But just don't be extreme. Next one, then have fruit or veg with every meal in capital letters. So every meal, don't just have a chicken breast and rice. Have some green vegetables with it. No, don't just have your, your spaghetti bolognese. Have some vegetables with it, some mushrooms, some onions, whatever it is, because it packs your meal out so you don't feel like you're dying. It has some uh, stomach volume for your food and it's just satiating and you get your vitamins and minerals. So don't just rely on thinking protein, protein, protein and ignoring your vegetables. And then what we've got next... waiting for slides to catch up so the take-home points then if you haven't picked them up and you haven't got a pen i haven't bored you to death the key point is fat doesn't make you fat it's really crucial that you know that balance as always is key we do not care a powerhouse if you're a drinker you know if you like a, a pizza on the weekend whatever it is we just care if you've got a goal do 80 percent of your decisions match your ambition so if you want to lose weight you want to gain muscle you want to get fit you need to be doing 70, 80% of those decisions need to match that goal. So you can't have a pizza every day, but you shouldn't demonise one pizza. You shouldn't demonise a glass of wine on the weekend. It's totally up to you. And it isn't up to us to make you feel guilty. Carbs are not the enemy, which I just touched on. Extreme diets then are largely unsustainable. So your friend might have done Weight Watchers or the Cambridge diet or a thousand calorie deficit, whatever it is. But like, have they worked? I doubt it. Have they stuck to it? Did they lose it and put it back on? Did the personality suffer in terms of moods and, and how they react to people emotionally and stuff? Find what works for you. This is key. So if, I, if one thing I take from this is find what works for you, whether it's the calories you count, whether you eyeball your foods, whether you aim for balance, whatever it is, just find what works for you and stop looking for the secret diet because it doesn't exist it's just someone else's guidelines, someone else's rules, someone else's habits. Stay patient. It will not happen overnight, regardless of what your goal is. And that's it. So as I mentioned about, you don't have to count calories, but one good tip if you don't want to is to eyeball your food. So if you think of an open hand, I could fit a nice lump of steak on that. I could fit a big portion of eggs, some fish, tofu, whatever it is. Think of an open hand as being your limit of the amount of protein you can have think of the fat as like a tablespoon think of the carbohydrates as a closed hand so just you don't have to necessarily put the potatoes in your hand but think how many potatoes could have fit in my hand it might be five it might be one big one like a jacket and then with your green vegetables think unlimited because they're lower calorie with your sweet corns and your onions and your peppers and your parsnips and stuff like that think of a sprinkle of color so think of it as stopping your meals being bland, but don't base your meals all on sweet corn and stuff like that because the calories add up. So counting calories will get you there quicker. 
And it's not something you have to do forever, but it massively does help. It creates an awareness. Some people will build a habit and absolutely love it. Some people won't even last a week because it'll just bore them to death. It'll take the fun out of eating. But a lot of those same people will check the finances before booking a holiday. They'll check the bank every day. So I would compare it to finances. You know, you do a lot better when you check it, when you're aware of how much you've got left, how much you've got to spend, whether you're in debt, whether you've got money spare and stuff like that. So the goal of this podcast wasn't to make you count calories. The goal of this podcast wasn't to give you a meal plan. It was just hopefully to not bore you to death, which I might have done. And mainly to give our members context to the slides I sent because they appreciate some bullet points isn't the best help in the world. If you have listened to it all, please let me know because I appreciate that's 50 minutes. At one point, I just rambled on and I thought, Jesus, who's listening to this? So please let me know if it's useful. And uh, maybe one day we'll get nutritionally qualified and we can give more specific advice. But this is how we get our clients in shape. This is, this is how we kind of get our clients strong and fit. And, it, and it's worked so far and we've got the feedback and we've got the results and they're happy. But the main thing for me is the sustainability aspect of it. We've not just said, here's a meal plan. They followed it for six weeks. Let's say they stopped training with us for whatever reason. And then they put the weight back on because they just followed our guidelines or our, sorry, our exact foods that we told them to eat. What we want to do is give them guidelines to eat within. So for us, most people only need a protein goal and a calorie goal. Like often, the, the average person, and I include myself in that, and, and Daz and Josh will probably agree, you don't need to track your carbs and your fats and every part of your diet. Just get yourself a calorie goal off the calculators. Give yourself a, a protein goal and, and follow the guidelines I mentioned about vegetables, about protein. Keep your steps up and keep training. And yeah, that's 50 minutes now, so I'll stop boring you. Thanks for listening as always and look forward to future podcasts.